for tuning in to the 253rd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or Elevation Sports, or whichever podcasting app or platform you are listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, going to have a great podcast for all you guys today. Going to have Kenny Simon, scouting expert for 247 Sports, as we've been having on throughout the NFL year to give our reactions to every week of NFL football. Obviously, the NFC and AFC championship games happened respectively. The Super Bowl matchup is set. We have Tampa Bay versus the Kansas City Chiefs. My Buffalo Bills unfortunately lost, which was very sad, but I am proud of them. So we are going to dive into those uh, two games respectively heavily. Also, probably at the end, we'll talk a little bit about the Chiefs, and the Buccaneers, because it's going to be a big and anticipated game. Now, I'm going to stop you right here before we get to the interview I have with Kenny Sim. This is your first time listening to the podcast. Thank you. But I'm going to need you to do this. Give a follow and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to me via, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, however you listen to your podcasts. Also, share this podcast with your family and your friends. Uh, we are trying to grow this thing out as we are developing a lot of great content for the NFL, NBA, college football. So if you know people that like stuff like that, content that's related to the NFL, the NBA, and college football, then put them onto the podcast. Share it on your social media platforms. Uh, post it on message boards. Post it on Reddit. Uh, share it to your Facebook group. Uh, share it to coworkers, friends, uh, and everybody else in between. Also... What I would ask everybody to do as well is leave a five-star review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And for some odd reason, if you don't like my podcast, it's like, how the hell could that happen? Then take a book. Take a page out of what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Type in Daryl Lane, where I post clips of this very podcast right here. I also post my syndicate uh, podcast outside the shop where I talk about about eight to ten minutes of daily sports topics that I don't get a chance to talk about right here. So if you want to hear me some more for about eight to ten minutes, you can check out outside the shop and follow me on Twitter at nitrain underscore lane. I'll say it again at nitrain underscore lane. I post my podcast on there. Also talk about sports and uh, my syndicate podcast outside the shop. It goes live on there every day as I'm getting on Twitter and Periscope. So that'll do. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Kenny Simon, scouting expert for 247 Sports. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sims, scouting expert for 247 Sports. NFC, AFC Championship Games have concluded. We are down to the final two Chiefs and Buccaneers. 
Kenny, how you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having me again. And it was Championship Sunday. And congrats to the Bucks and the Chiefs for winning their respective conferences and getting in. The Chiefs' back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. And for the Bucks getting there. Remember, I just kept saying during the year, just pump the brakes, pump the brakes. It's going to take time. And they have... Let's see what they do at the bye week, and they have not lost since their bye week, and they parlay that into three straight road wins, which should not be taken lightly. The Bucks win three straight road games and get to the Super Bowl as a wild card. A lot to discuss with all these games. By the way, I do want to say this. In the beginning of the year during my NFL predictions, I did predict Tampa Bay and Kansas City to meet, so I do have to say that. Uh, even though it had to come at the expense of my Buffalo Bills for KC getting there. Uh, so it should be a great Super Bowl matchup, and I'm sure we'll get to talk about that as the show progresses. But let's start with this, NFC. And uh, this was probably the better of uh, the two games that went on Sunday. So let's start with this. I just want your overall thoughts, Kenny, because we can go a lot of places with this game. But I think first, an important part to start is this. So Matt LaFleur. There were some questionable coaching calls down the stretch. Uh, The decision to kick a field goal, I believe this is like, uh, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but two, three minutes left in the game. Uh, The game's in the balance. Uh, It's 23 to 31 Buccaneers. And they decide to kick a field goal to make it 26-31. Now, what makes this interesting is this is a fourth down. They have the chance to go for it, make a two-point conversion, and tie the game. And instead, Matt LaFleur does the conservative thing. He kicks the field goal. They kick off to Brady, and they have to stop Brady in order to uh, get the ball back. And for me, why I criticize Matt LaFleur, why I think this decision was so wrong, so egregious, so abominable, and on so many levels, is this, Kenny. If you're thinking about this, first of all, you want to live and die with Aaron Rodgers with the ball in his hands. He is your best player. The thing you have been going to, and they went to this thing numerous times during the game in the red zone. Devontae, Rodgers to Devontae Smith. That is their bread and butter. They live and die with it. You live and die with Aaron Rodgers. He is the MVP of this league. He is your best player. He has earned that right. He is a future Hall of Famer. You give him that right on fourth down. You do not put it in the hands of of your defense to make a stop. When personally, I didn't think their defense was up to that challenge. I didn't think their defense was up to that challenge. And also the fact is, as I was thinking about it, the field goal only made it a five-point lead. Only cut it down to five points. Of course, now in this situation, if they get a touchdown, they win the game, but they're still going to have to drive the length of the field, whether they went for it and missed it uh, and, and didn't get that fourth down conversion and got nothing. Or if they kick it, kick it off, and then that to stop Brady. Like they still have to drive the length of the field, no matter what happens. So why not go here right now? Yeah, it was a good take on your part. I didn't like the call at all. Just you, you break it down from a couple of reasons. One is definitely yeah, giving Aaron Rodgers a shot to make a play on on the eight yard line. But if you don't get it, the Bucks take over at their own eight. So maybe it makes them a little bit more conservative going uh, running plays in the shadow of their own end zone versus getting the ball at the 25 
on the made field goal, they start off at the 25. So that's one. Two is either way, you're going to need to get a stop at some point. So at least if you went for it and didn't get it, now you have to get a stop if you're the Packers versus kicking the field goal. you got to get a stop on Tom Brady um, regardless. So regardless of the situation, you need to get a defensive stop. At least going for it, you got a chance to go in the end zone. If not, maybe draw a penalty um, to do that. And you have the difference in field position. And then, especially when you have an elite quarterback like Tom Brady, at some point, what used to be the case is a team would run three straight times, use the timeouts, and punt it and kick it away. Now we see teams like the Chiefs and the Bucks, and and as long as you have a, a, a top, top-tier quarterback, they're going to be throwing for it. So, so they're playing to get a first down, and I just think it's way too hard to get a three and out on an elite quarterback in that situation. Too many things could happen, and they picked up a first down early on, and then a chance to get one more stop, and what we got – we got a defensive uh, or pass interference in the back in in the uh, secondary. Uh, Packers guy grabbing on to the jersey, a clear interference right there. Another thing for the offensive advantage. So I didn't like. Um, I just think it's too difficult to come up with a three and out, especially when teams are throwing now in this situation instead of just sitting on the ball and using up the timeouts. Did Matt LaFleur really think they were going to stop Tampa Bay? Like, like, I guess that's my thing. Like, in that situation, you're putting yourself at a deficit. At a deficit. Like, how does that make any sense? Like, where is the logic? Like, can you please explain to me, like, where is the logic in his decision to, uh, to kick a field goal? Well, the logic in the decision would be that you're banking on a three and out. But what does that defense show during that entire game to make you think they're going to get a three and out in that situation? Exactly. <laughs> they're probably going to be throwing the ball too. Yeah, well, you got to get the two point. Uh, you got to get the touchdown and the two point conversion. But you know, at least taking a shot at the end zone. You know, touchdown interference. Rogers gets flushed out of the pocket and makes some magic happen. I would trust him to get a two point conversion on a 50-50 split. Um, first, having to get a stop, and then. Packers get the ball back knowing that they need a touchdown would win the game instead. But the Packers defense had to get a stop, though, and it needed to probably come on that first set of downs, that first um, first three set of downs. And when they got second and one, they jumped off sides to force a, a fresh set of downs. But at that point, they needed to play absolutely perfect. And I just think, especially with a pretty strong offense overall there was a lot of places Brady could go with the ball it was just a really tough spot and it's a spot I think Packers fans are going to be talking about for the entire offseason yeah and, th- and then you have the issue so then uh, Tampa has the ball there's the that was controversial a lot of Packers fans I know are focusing on this even though I don't think it decided the game I think the more egregious thing was Matt LaFleur kicking it uh, instead of going for it on fourth down but I will say this Kenny uh right this is a third and four I think at, at the time like they're in position all they need to do is get a stop and then there's a lot of people were calling it a, a phantom 
uh, tug, even though it was a tug, but you, see, you hear Aikman and Joe Buck on the call saying, these guys have been playing all game, which they were. The refs weren't necessarily calling everything, so you're going to call that at that moment of time, obviously, by the letter of the law, the rule of the book, the law of the land. That is a pass. Uh, that's pass interference. But uh, do you call it during that scope of the game when you've let other little knick-knack things like that go? Where do you stand on that? Well, so you call the play that you see on the field, and the jersey was clearly pulled. He had the he had the loose undershirt on the uh, receiver. I don't. I'm I'm, I, I'm trying to pull it up. I think it might have been Godwin, but it was the Buccaneers receiver had the loose undershirt on, and it was a clear. It, it, it was a clear grab of the undershirt and pull. We saw how emphatic the undershirt pulled. That's an easy hold. And easy the, hold right there. And I will say this too. Ball game. The, the flag was late as well, which I think probably added to the, the controversy a tad bit, that the flag yeah. was late. But, but When he, I always look in this situation is you just want to get the call right, and the call was right. I mean, it was a clear grab. You know, whether you want to call it interference or defensive holding, either way it's an automatic first down. But Jersey was clearly pulled. That's a penalty right there. And then you go to this. So then well, this is what kills them. They have 12 men on the field, and they get called for that just disorganized when, you know. And as we've mentioned, if you're going to make a call like what Matt LaFleur did to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, you have to have faith in your defense that they're going to be doing everything correctly. And then you even mentioned this, Kenny. Like, things can go wrong. Tug of the jersey, as we saw, things went wrong. Uh, the defense, obviously, you, you can't have that in that spot. You can't have 12 men on the field at that spot. That, that, that is the absolute worst time to do that. So, obviously, it looks a failure. So, I do want to ask you this. What grade would you give Matt LaFleur based off of this performance? What, what grade would you give him? Overall, for the grade, it's it, 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 it's a... It's a fail. This is a pass-fail league. And you get one test every Sunday, and it was a fail. So it was a fail on that part. It's a pass-fail league. You either win the game or you don't. If you're looking for a more precise grade, C-minus is below average. Below average overall. But, you know, I always see the NFL, you get a test every week. And it's a pass-fail league. And the only thing that matters is getting the wins or the losses. So, overall, fail. So, Jordan Love was trending on Twitter after this game. (laughs) (laughs) Kenny might know where I'm going with this. And I I just find this outrageous. But there's a lot, too, with Jordan Love. Uh, And I'm just going to read this to you. So, fans and experts... Now, the headline, headline, and I just want to say this out loud, the headline is Jordan Love, and then it says trending. So I copy and paste this from Twitter. So it says, fans and experts are wondering if the Packers will start 2021st round pick Jordan Love at the quarterback position next season instead of the incumbent Aaron Rodgers after Green Bay was eliminated from the playoffs following the, an NFC Championship loss to the Buccaneers. Kenny, is there any chance, any chance, even in our wildest dreams, that Jordan Love could be under center instead of Aaron Rodgers. Not unless Aaron Rodgers retires abruptly. Or Matt LaFleur loses his mind. And, and, and as we talked about, <laughs> as we talked about on draft day, we're rehashing the draft conversation. 
they can't trade Aaron Rodgers this year. It's not good for their cap. They're going to have to wait another year. But I will say this. After the loss, I got a, I just got an image from a great friend, a great friend, an image that showed profootballreference.com, the 2020 draft, starting at pick 26 all the way down. And, you know, we talked about this. I remember explicitly on draft night is we're going to come to a time and the Packers are not going to get out of the NFC and their first-round pick is holding the clipboard where somebody like, for example, the Tampa Bay Bucks, their first-round pick played closer to a Pro Bowl level in Tristan Wirfs. And we talked about anybody would have helped the Packers, any additional receiver, a tight end, a lineman, a defensive player. I'm looking at the draft right now. I'm looking at the image. They could have used Patrick Queen, Jeff Gladney, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, DeAndre Swift, Kyle Duggar, Viscus Chanel, Grant Delpit, Antron Winfield, who didn't play today, but Antron Winfield had a really good year at the safety position for the Bucks. Chase Claypool, we could Cam Akers, we Justin Jefferson, the and the end of the day was they were essentially punting on their first round pick instead of improving the team. And it's a little sad for Packers fans because looking at the NFC right now and with a big change happening in New Orleans, nobody really coming out of the NFC East. No one is a sheer fire contender uh, in the NFC West. They all have their question marks. The Packers could have put together a really good run, a really good three- to four-year run at the end of Aaron Rodgers' career and maybe could have stacked two Super Bowls. Uh, because they're the clear best team in the NFC. It could have stacked two Super Bowls, maybe over a three, four, five-year span. There's really right for the taking, because they do have a good team. And unfortunately, their first-round pick, and you got to pay attention to the scores. We talked about it. Their first-round pick is holding the clipboard in the fourth quarter of a close game where any advantage would be needed because – you get down to the situation, they're all coin flip games. And even if they, you know, pulled the Sean Payton, when Sean Payton got a taste in hell, right? Uh, a guy that you can play at tight end, wide receiver, that can play on special teams, that can come in for the wildcat, that you can do a bunch of different things. And I don't think they should have done this necessarily, but maybe they drafted Jalen Hurts, and, and Jalen Hurts might be a guy that could do some Taysom Hill-like things. And you know what? That, to me, would make some sense, Kenny, right? Because that is still a guy that you can use on your roster that can help you win games. They literally drafted a guy to sit on the bitch. The only thing Jordan Love did was piss Aaron Rodgers off. <laughs> that is the only thing he did. Absolutely, absolutely. It was definitely a, you know, very questionable pick, and you know, at least you think in Aaron Rodgers has the offense down pat. They were the highest scoring offense in the league. Maybe just build the defense to the draft then, because you know, regardless of the pieces around Aaron Rodgers, you know he's he's going to put up thirty plus points. He's got a really good rapport going. Uh, I really like their plays going to the running back out of the backfield: Jones, Jamal Williams. Tight end, Robert Tunyon, a product of Aaron Rodgers, even Alan Lazard and Marquez Vandal-Scantling. Um, you know, with that group, he could elevate a lot of a lot of average players around him. So, 
regardless of the player, though, at the end of the day, they didn't use their first-round pick to help them win right now, which if you have a player like Aaron Rodgers, I think you always got to be in win-now mode. And I want to ask you this. We saw how Deshaun Watson's kind of seemed to take his career in his hands and kind of been like, you know what, I'm done with Houston. Could you see this from Aaron Rodgers? Because I could see how Aaron Rodgers would be a little, uh, a little livid. Not only did they draft Jordan Love, who I'm pretty sure he has no interest in helping, quote-unquote, develop. Obviously, he was not happy with them drafting him and not getting him an additional weapon or somebody to help on defense or a player that can help this team win right now. But there's also the Matt LaFleur call where they take the ball out of his hands, right? And at the end of the day, it's kind of his legacy on the line. They take the ball out of his hands, they give it back to the defense, and they lose. I can imagine how Aaron Rodgers is really pissed off right now. Uh and I'd love to be that, that little voice in his mind right now to understand what he's thinking. But could you see Aaron Rodgers pulling a Deshaun Watson just saying, I'm done? I'm not doing this? No, no. There's there's not a, a lot he could do. Um, just being a little older. I don't even... Regardless of any type of hypothetical trade package, I don't think the Packers would get back value that exceeds Aaron Rodgers. Um, and, and it's tough to trade him this year. I think he's got $40 million on the cap, regardless if he plays or not on the Packers. It's $40 million in the hole right there. Best chance would be trading him after next year when it goes down to about 20 a more manageable amount, but I don't see that happening. Because also, I want to read you this. This is what Aaron Rodgers said during his post-game press conference. He said, his future is uncertain. He did say that. That came from his mouth. So do you read anything into that? Uh, Not really. Not really. I also want to go to this. So the Packers, (laughs) and it's really interesting when we talk about offensive geniuses, they're very basic. Uh, basically in the red zone, it's Devontae Adams or bust. They went to, there was one point in the game, this is the first half, I think second quarter, where they literally threw it to him, Devontae Adams, three separate, uh, th- th- three separate times. <laughs> one time Devontae Adams dropped it, the other time it was tipped by Levante Davidson, and the other time it kind of went right out of the end zone, right out of the end zone. Don't you think you have to diversify your offense a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think the one, I mean, I think one, one time on a second or third down, I think Rodgers flushed out of the pocket, had a little bit of a running lane, decided not to run it. But overall, this was the best red zone offense in the league this year. Uh, didn't capitalize on the Adams drop. That was a three-by-one set. They went with a shorter split to Devontae Adams. Uh, couldn't convert on that one. And then, you know, Defense made a play, and then I thought on one of the third downs in the red zone, Rodgers had a had a chance to run the ball and get fairly close, if not score, decided to throw it. Um, and that was out of the grasp. Um, I think Adams ran out of real estate on that play. But if anything, they were having you know pretty good success running the ball, whether it be Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon. Could have ran it in that situation, especially out of a, I would say maybe out of a spread formation. You get maybe a lighter, a lighter box, a lighter personnel grouping from the uh, Bucks. You could run it there out of spread, uh, but you know there's only, especially in a five point game, there's only a couple of plays that swing the game either direction. 
And I think one of them might have been the um, the drop by Devontae Adams. Tough play to make, but I think that went, and uh, I think that forced a field goal. I think that was in the second quarter, the 459 mark. Um, but a couple plays there left on the field, I think, by the Packers. So, Kenny, I'm going to ask you this really quickly before we go to the break. Matt LaFleur is the second coach ever in the history of the NFL in his first two years as a head coach to make it to a championship game. You want to guess who the other guy is? Um, was it... Was it... George Seifert? Rex Ryan. Oh, okay. It was Rex Ryan. Yeah, yeah. 2009, 2010. So I don't know what that means for Matt LaFleur because hopefully he doesn't want to end up like uh, Rex Ryan and end up on ESPN (laughs) instead of coaching. But I'm just going to leave that little nugget of information out there. So we're going to take a quick break and then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get into more things from the Packers side and kind of this whole Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady thing. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Kenny Sim with a scouting expert for 247 Sports as we recap the NFC title game between the Packers and the Buccaneers. So I got to ask you this, Kenny. Aaron Rodgers is now 1-4 in NFC title games. How much did losing, not only losing, now he's 1-4, but losing to Tom Brady, the other number 12, a guy that is kind of the measuring stick in this league, a guy that a lot of people say is the GOAT, losing to him, how much does this hurt Aaron Rodgers' legacy? I don't think it hurts it that much. I think you kind of see just being a really Rodgers is like a dual threat quarterback, uh, extremely talented. Take a look at how good he is, that touchdown to interception ratio. He does have the Super Bowl. Um, he does have the super the, the, the lone Super Bowl appearance and the win. Um, being one and four, I don't think it hurts him that much, but probably keeps him out of the top five, but he still had a really successful career, made a lot of money, got to go to the Hall of Fame, so nothing really there to worry about. But, you know, you know people talk about that for a while, but I don't, you know, in, 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 in 2016, they were just outmanned by a far superior Falcons team. Um, I don't know, is that, if that's counting the first time they played the Giants in 07, he didn't play in that game. No, he did not play. He did not play. Yeah, so if that's a loss, I'm, that's not really his his responsibility um and then well there's another Niners Seahawks and then this will be the fourth yeah yeah the Niners what the Niners I'm trying to think of that game this is la- that game they got destroyed okay in the NFC championship yes I'm trying to think of that game okay but I think one of, I, I, I know Colin Kaepernick no, I'm talking about last year with Garoppolo. Oh, last year, yeah. Yeah, they got ran over. They got ran over. Uh, and then, you know, the Seattle game as well. So, 
I don't know how much of all of that is to blame. You know, getting run over for about 300 yards, botched at the end against the Seattle Seahawks, um, and then a Falcons team that was a juggernaut at that time. But overall, he does have, I mean, at least he does have that one Super Bowl um, in, his, in his bag. But it's going to keep him behind, probably, Brady and Manning of his era. Now, this is really interesting to me. Tom Brady, and they showed the stat, uh, Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman, when they were calling the game, and as I'm getting this up, and I wrote this note down because I think it's really interesting. Brady all-time now has 33 playoff wins, Kenny. Uh, now, that's really impressive. I think Joe Montana second at like 17 or something like that. But they did this. They combined Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers total playoff wins and you want to know what it was 15 it was 30 10? it was 32 uh-huh so we have three hall of fame quarterbacks Bart Starr Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers they have one less playoff win combined than Tom Brady and these are three of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game like if I mentioned Bart Starr Brett Favre, uh, Aaron Rodgers, those are what? Three of the top 15 quarterbacks to ever play? Yeah. Right? And, and, and Brady has one more playoff one than all three of them combined. He's going to his 10th Super Bowl. And I was telling you off the air, like, this is Bill Russell, Boston Celtics type stuff. How impressive is what Tom Brady has done? But, like, just the winning in the postseason, man. Like, it, it's insane. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about me. The, the amount of playoff wins is extremely impressive. And you got to remember, a lot of those playoff wins came out of a first-round bye. So he didn't play round one of the playoffs. He started the divisional round. So I think you could even – I mean, you could even almost count all those buys as an extra playoff win, you know, for going from the wild card right to the divisional round with that bye. Um, and despite all that, he's got a ton of post-game, uh, post-season accolades, you know, despite playing two or three times a year in the playoffs and just the amount of wins he has compared to franchises. And, you know, like you mentioned the three Packers core quarterbacks as well, but I think a, a, a huge prop is taking taking a team that hasn't won a playoff game since 2002 and one of the bottom feeders, one of the bottom probably five to seven teams in terms of winning percentage over the last two decades in the Tampa Bay Bucks, year one, going to the Super Bowl with them. Uh, that's extremely impressive. And now he's in rare company of a quarterback to take multiple teams to the Super Bowl. At 43 years old, in his first year. Yeah. Now, who looks worse in all of this? And obviously, you kind of stated your feelings on Aaron Rodgers. You don't think Aaron Rodgers looks super bad, but I'll, but I'll put Aaron Rodgers in this. Is it Bill Belichick for letting this guy go? Is it Aaron Rodgers, you know, for on the big stage, right, he loses to this guy, and this is a guy that he's supposed to be theoretically better than uh, at, at both their respective stages? Or... 
is the biggest loser, Jameis Winston, who I think we all know Jameis Winston's extremely talented, but they were, like we said, a bottom feeder. And then Tom Brady comes in, the whole culture's changed, and now this is like a team that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. So out of those three names, who looks the worst? Yeah, I'm going to say probably here, Jameis Winston. You know, they, they, they had the defense in place. That was a defense last year. Second half of the year, the Bucs were the number one defense in the NFL. Uh, they just, you know, they were just plagued by quarterback turnovers, you know, leading the league in turnovers and, you know, just, just making that one substitution, it changed Tampa from seven and nine to now 14 wins. So doubling their win total last year from really having the same team to seeing how Brady really adds seven wins to a team. Huge amount of win share. Um, and that was really the missing piece. And they kind of built the infrastructure of the team. And all they had to do was to pursue a quarterback. They had the two receivers. They got the running game. They got tight ends. They got a nice offensive line. They drafted another lineman in Tristan Wirfs. They have a really good front seven, sideline to sideline. They got two linebackers, Levante David, Devin White. All they were missing was a quarterback, and that that really put them over the hump. But not only, I think what also makes Jameis look bad, looks bad in this, what makes Jameis look so bad is, like, the Bucks weren't even a playoff team. Like, it'd be, like, they literally went from not being in the playoffs to now in the Super Bowl. That is a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> Just from leadership, culture, even just play on the field aside. But just all of that. Jameis Winston should be better than that. I, and I guess that's what makes him look so bad. Absolutely. You kind of just see, you know, it starts off with the quarterback position and then you build and then the team kind of trickles down from there. So you see, you know, this is really a league. It's a league where you either have a quarterback or you don't. And if you don't, it's it's really hard to put together a sustainable winner because a team has to be virtually perfect in all other areas to overcome that deficiency, especially one that had Jameis Winston leading the league in turnovers. It just puts the Tampa Bay Bucks behind the eight ball too many times during the games, and Brady quickly changed that. So who looks second worst? Belichick or Rodgers? Well, listen, I mean, at the time, I mean, at the time, it's probably, it's probably Bill Belichick because of just how, how good um, Brady has played this year. But, you know, he's still, I mean, he's still, he's still the best to ever do it in the coaching ranks in the NFL. And then third, obviously, would be Aaron. So also this, and I will say this in Aaron's defense now, let's be real. Tampa Bay was the better team. They won 38-10 to 10 when they played each other in the regular season. Uh, styles make fights. Uh, their style is not conducive to Green Bay winning. Uh, you, you could tell even the first quarter that this just wasn't going to go Green Bay's way. Uh, Tampa Bay converted three third downs in, like, obvious passing situations. 
And that's supposed to be the Packers' strength. And we've talked about this, Kenny, and Nazim throughout the whole NFL season. They have the corners. They have the pass rush. Like, obvious passing situations. That's why we all talk about how their defense is built for elite. This team should be built for obvious passing situations. And for Tom Brady and Tampa Bay to still go bing, 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 bang all the way to a touchdown on that opening drive, despite the obvious, obvious pass situations, I'm like, if they're going to do this, and this is supposed to be Green Bay's strength, then how are they going to beat them? Yeah, let me start off that first possession. I think in Tampa's first two possessions they had the ball, Brady converted five third downs on those first two possessions alone. I think there's four or five of them. But then you take a look at the down and distance. I mean, it was third and nine, third and seven, a backbreaker. I think it was third and 14. Godwin got 15 on that one. But that's that's where you got to get off the field because – you know, at, at this stage with all these teams, all all these Final Four teams, it's an offensive league. They're all top top five, top six in scoring. The best chance to get off the field is when you have third and long and just get one play, keep it behind the sticks to get off the field. That's the ticket to get off the field for a defense, give the ball back to the offense. When Brady converts like that, it just breaks your back, and you have a possession that should have ended in no points, turns into points. And there's only going to be so many possessions where these quarterbacks are going to be kept down. And I'm looking right now at, you know, despite the three interceptions, um, overall the Packers had five, five of their possessions ended in no points today. And three of those were interceptions. You take a look at the uh, – on the Bucks end, excuse me, on the Bucks end. Take a look at the Packers end. You know, the Packers had Packers had five as well. So over half their possessions, these teams are scoring. So you start looking at it, and when it's third down and, you know, seven or more, that's the ticket to get off the field. And a lot of times, the team that has success on those third downs is a leading indicator to who's going to win the game. I completely agree. And also, the Packers lost the line of scrimmage. Uh, five sacks, multiple QB hits on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he got hit a lot. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul was a Vita Vea, uh, came back. You could see he was a problem up the middle. Uh, they were a problem uh, throughout this whole game. That Tampa Bay Buccaneers front seven with guys like Devontae, uh, Devin White and Levante Davis, they're special, and it caused a lot of issues for Aaron Kenny. It did. The game still won in the trenches. It's still blocking and tackling at the end of the day. Five sacks for the Bucks defense. They took advantage of standout left tackle David Bakhtiari was out. Um, JTP, Jack Barrett had a nice day. They're going to have a chance to do that next week, depending on where the injury comes in with Eric Fisher. Left tackle the Chiefs. He might be out of that game with a torn Achilles tendon. So that means the Chiefs would have two backups in at the tackle positions. But this has been a really good front all year, and I think it's been one of the best units on the Bucks team other than Brady. has probably been that front seven as a whole. And you got two linebackers that could cover the entire field sideline to sideline. Um, really impressive. And both of them or not liabilities on third downs, you know, 
ultimately, if you're trying to get a matchup on a wide receiver on one of them, wide receiver is going to have the advantage. But by and large, the majority of teams, um, you could keep David and White on the field with confidence um, on obvious past situations. And I think that really makes the Bucks. Um, a really standout defense that was top five in DVOA because of that front seven. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get into the Bills-Kansas City AFC Championship game. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Sports Talk, and we still have Kenny Sim with us, and now we are going to get into the Bills versus Kansas City Chiefs. Unfortunately, my Buffalo Bills lost. They will be going home as they probably should have. Uh, they did not make a good showing for themselves. Kenny, just give me your overall takeaways of this game. Well, my overall takeaways is there, there's a couple of ways to beat the Chiefs, and the Bills were not able to do it. You got to be able to hold the Chiefs to under 25 minutes when. Over the last three years, when the Chiefs had the ball under 25 minutes, they're three and six. All other versions, they're now 41 and three. Second thing is the big plays, and those are those are runs over 10 yards, throws over 20 yards. When the Chiefs lose in big plays, they're an average team, four and four. But Today, that was not the case. They had a lot of explosive plays, especially on the run game on the edges. Wide receivers, Tyreek Hill had, you know, a decent amount himself. Um, more more plays than the Bills. And then, of course, for the Bills, not only being a ball control offense, but those possessions have to end with touchdowns. And I think that was going to be the big one that we're going to look at is the Buffalo Bills were two for five in the red zone. They had to kick a couple of field goals against the worst red zone defense in football. Um, you go on long drives and only come away with three points, you're just wasting clock and not able to keep up with the Chiefs. The Bills, um, right before the half, I could have seen it, but coming out of the half when they had that fourth and two, fourth and three to kick the field goal, that's not going to get uh, the Bills back in the game to make it a one-score game. Two for five in the red zone is going to be, I think, a huge key on why the Bills couldn't break through and make it a one-score game um, when the Chiefs went up by uh, two scores there. Yeah, and, and also I do have to say, as I was telling you this off the air, Tony Romo and Jim Nance, what the hell are they doing? You know, like, the Chiefs are up 17 we get in a they get an off they get an onside kick they recover it's like fine what do you do Trey Edmonds like bring it up and wave the ball with their hands that's cool but you know they're still up 17 and there's like three minutes left of the game and Tony Romo's like oh my god there's all these different scenarios the Bills can still win the Bills can still win I just have to mute the TV Kenny like I'm just like what are we doing like I don't need to hear that that's called keeping the viewers close to the TV to keep 
from everybody from flipping the channel. Oh, well, well, <laughs> well, well, Kenny, it almost made me flip the channel. <laughs> I turned the volume off. I didn't want to hear it. I was like, and also, you know, the game got ugly at the end. Uh huh. With the job with Josh Allen kind of throwing the ball a little bit at at a frustration, then Patrick Mahomes kind of had to quarrel everything and kind of calm everything a little bit. But the end of the game, the, the game just went on too long, Kenny. I was watching this game I was like this game should have been over fifteen minutes ago. What are we all doing here? Yeah, I mean, got down. I mean, I call it in that situation the non-competitive part of the game. Both sides knew the outcome of the game. The game was decided, and you know. One team is frustrated because your season's over. They got beat up and down the field. The other team protecting their guys. I don't make anything about it. I mean, it's just just frustration coming out. And, you know, both teams know the outcome's decided at that point. And if you're on the winning side, you just got to protect yourself from cheap shots. That's true. So I do want to get to this with McDermott and the field goals. Here's my issue. You will not beat the Kansas City Chiefs kicking field goals, Kenny. You will not. There's a lot of ways. There, there's a couple of roadmaps to beating the Kansas City Chiefs. And one of them is not kicking field goals. Trading three for seven does not work with this team. And to me, it's a loser mentality. It's a loser mentality. It, it, it's kind of like you're like, you know, we're trying to win. We're trying to get some points, but we're really not trying to win the game. To me, it's kind of like if there's a girl, you're like, you ask her out, but you didn't shower that day, right? You really asked her out, and you can say, I tried, but did you really try because you didn't shower? Like, when you're doing field goals like that, I'm just like, are you really trying to win the game? What are we doing here? Like, well, Yeah, I mean, the first series, or, it, was, it was the first series of the game. Um, they came out with a solid opening script. Bills moved the ball. Um kicked a 51-yard field goal instead of having um, them go for it. I really like to play uh, the modern-day triple option, where it's a fake-the-zone read, QB runs, but he also has that little outlet to throw the ball to. It's the modern-day triple option could have gone with. Before the half, I was okay with the field goal because it was 21-9 to in that situation, and the Bills put together the best drive all half for them. And I felt at that point they needed to get some points to make it at least manageable at the half. Nine points. Um, and if the Chiefs score, it's a two-possession game only. Versus if you come up empty, you don't get it. It's 21-9. to nine. Your best drive ended no points. And now you're down 12, and the Chiefs get the ball to start the half and they could push you to a three-possession game, uh, you're not going to come back from three possessions down. So that was fine. But I, but I guess... Um, I, I, but then I, I didn't like the one... I didn't like the one coming out of the half when they traded a field goal for a field goal. They got the ball their first series. They go 67 yards down the field, and then they had fourth and three at the Chiefs' eight. At that point, I thought was their best chance to go for it and try to make it a one-possession game. And keep the drive going versus kicking a field goal. At that point, that does nothing in terms of possessions. It's still a two-possession game either way. And, you know, to beat the Chiefs and to win the game, I just don't think you, you could waste that amount of clock and go on that long drive and not come away with seven. Yeah, and I guess my whole point is with the field goals too. Even I'll, I'll say this in the first half, like, 
you, you have to know, and I know coaches don't want to admit this, Kansas City's better than you. Like, the Chiefs are better. Like, when they just when you're up nine and there's that little muffed punt or, or whatever, and then they just blitz you with 21 straight points, like, they're a better team. They're, they're, they're a better team. You, 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 to me, you have to take that into account, and you have to do a little bit crazy things that go against the grain. You're not trying to protect anything because you're, you're not the better team. You have to go for it. I would understand if Kansas City in that situation is like, okay, we, like I, I, they're not the better team, so I don't understand why they would do that. I, I, I guess that's how I see it. Yeah, definitely that. Definitely in the second half, um, their first possession out of the half. Really would have liked to see them going four down territory in that case. Um, but take a look at the Chiefs. Chiefs punted on their first series, and then they scored every possession until they got the ball back with three minutes left, and they're just running out the clock and taking me. So if you don't count that because they weren't trying to score, after that three and out, the Chiefs scored every possession they had the ball the rest of the game. They had five touchdowns in six series. And, you know, I thought the Bills would give them a little bit more resistance, but... The Chiefs are just moving up and down the field with really the Chiefs have an answer for everything. You know, getting the ball out quick on first down. Kelsey is a safety blanket. Hill in space. Hardman on the edge. Um, they're the one team they really have an answer for everything you do. And the thing too is and when the Bills had a 9-0 lead and McCole Hardman has that muff punt and then it's 9-0, right? I texted you, Kenny, and I was literally like, the run's coming. That Chiefs wave is coming. You're like, Daryl, and you were like, Daryl, calm down, Daryl. You're like, it's just the first two possessions. Like, what do you mean the wave? And I was, I told you, Kenny, there was a wave coming. <laughs> and then they just scored three straight touchdowns, and they go, bing, 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 bang, bang. And then the game's like, oh, okay, now we can't get anything. Everything's looking so difficult. Okay, now the Chiefs are coming to play. And what's so extraordinary well, first, I'll start with this. When the Bills are up 9-0, you're, you're thinking the run's coming, right? Like, the run has to come. Because they blitz you better than anybody. My God. When they just decide to dial it up all the way to 100, there's nothing like it in this league. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I mean, it's way too early to even start scoreboard watching at that point. Got to keep playing the game. Um, but I think the run came because of the ease they had of moving the ball down the field and a couple of plays that stood out um, two in particular was when the defender had a clear sack a clear um, sack on Mahomes and he was just a sidestep to keep the play alive one of them came in Bill's territory Mahomes broke loose found Kelsey for a first down and a couple of times they had that as well you know, it's hard when you get a blitzer that has a clean look at Mahomes, you got to get him down to the ground because he is so dangerous when he's outside the pocket extending the plays. Yeah, the, the Chiefs are special. And here's the thing, and this is really interesting. The Bills, and Kenny, would you agree with this? The Bills went through a three to four, maybe five-week stretch when they were playing the best football in the NFL. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So, we know the Bills peaked out this year somewhere in the regular season where we could say they were the best team in the NFL. They were playing the best. 
The Chiefs beat them by double digits and ran through them, and this game wasn't really all that competitive after the 9-0 lead. That's how good the Chiefs are. Have you ever seen anything like this, Kenny? You know, you know, a team that went through a, a teams quickly, which I'm thinking, I'm thinking the Rams from 99 to 2001. Greatest show on turf. Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, Kurt Warner. Yeah, they have three guys in the Hall of Fame right now. Torrey Holt? Four, actually, four, but five if Torrey Holt gets in. But yeah, I mean, half their team are Hall of Famers on that one. Um, that was one of them. And then from there, you know, maybe for a year with the Patriots. But this has really been three years now with the Chiefs where the script stays the same, where they could be down. You know, if you're down 14 points, that's nothing because they could get a score so quickly after a one-score game, and they could just start throwing every play on first down, being ahead of the sticks with Mahomes and with Hill and Kelsey on the outside. It's really hard to defend that. It's hard to take one of them away, but you got to take one away. It's really hard, though, to take one of them away. Both teams can't do it. The Bills couldn't do it today. And when they get that going, um, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to stop them. And, and by the way, the scary part is Sammy Watkins didn't go today. Uh, <laughs> Sammy Watkins didn't go. And. You can worry about Tyreek. You can worry about Travis Kelsey. They're so good. They're going to get theirs. Then you have a guy like McCole Hardman. He'll run a reverse and he'll just score 40. Uh, he'll just run 40 yards because he has, he runs, he's like, what, what 4-3 speed? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just so many options. They can go to 1A, to 1B, to 1C, to 1D, to 1E, to 1F. It, it, it just exactly, again. exactly, exactly. You said it, you said it perfectly. They really built a track team on the outside because Hartman, Watkins, Hill, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, all those guys are sub 4 4 guys. And that's really the thing that stuck out is the skills, is speed. Speed is critical. And I think that's how some teams, especially in the back end of the secondary and the AFC, how you got to build your team is you got to try to find a way to match that speed. And you got four guys that run sub 4 4. So speed is at a premium. Tyreek Hill, 9 receptions, 172 yards. Travis Kelsey, 13 receptions, 118 yards, 2 touchdowns. Who's better between these two? Who's better between those two? It's close, but I think it's Kelsey. I think Kelsey makes it all go. And you see a lot of, when they go on their runs and big scoring, uh, Kelsey's usually in the middle of that. And just uh, they have more ways to get him the ball inside the red zone. Another one was the shovel pass, whether it be an overhand shovel pass or an underhand flip. He's got that in his arsenal too, but it's, 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 uh, I think it's definitely Kelsey in that case. And, you know, I think Kelsey might be the best, best weapon, best skill guy in the NFL over everyone. How does Travis Kelsey compare to a prime Rob Gronkowski? They're, they're, they're both extremely similar because this is what Gronk did. Gronk went on a long run in that case. Um, have to match up the numbers, but both of them right now, 
for their best at the, best at their position, and they really got matchups, you know, matchup advantages, and you can't, you know, he's too big to cover with a corner, and he's too fast for a linebacker to cover him. So that's exactly how Gronk was, and. Kelsey can run the full route tree too, just like Gronk in his prime, where um, the most deadly is when the Chiefs go with that three by one set and the lone guy and the uh, the lone guy is Kelsey, and you have a one on one chance with him. You can either take that or go back to the three wide receiver side. But what put Gronk and Kelsey in a class of their own was you can isolate them and they can run the full tree and. You really don't see that from a tight end who can run a full tree. He can run the post, the go route. He can do it all just like a wide receiver. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And then kind of next up at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to continue talking about the Bills and Chiefs AFC Championship game. Kind of next up at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. back with Barbershop Sports Talk as we are discussing the AFC Championship game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. So to Stephon Diggs, um, some people at points of the year were saying he was the best wide receiver in the NFL. I had friends who were saying that from Buffalo. I never quite thought that. I thought he was for sure top five. At one point in this game, heading into the fourth quarter, I think he had two receptions for like 40 yards. He ended up as I'm looking up at his total uh, end lines, uh, end game stat line, it was six receptions for 77 yards. Not what you'd expect from a player of his caliber, his ilk. Uh, the Chiefs secondary kind of took him out the game. What were your thoughts on uh, Stephon Diggs and these Bills wide receivers? And the Chiefs secondary, by the way, who played fabulous. Everything was covered. Yeah, I think one of the things, I think a couple of things the Chiefs did was, one, they were able to get, pressure on Josh Allen to get rid of the ball quickly so you don't have really those long downfield throws and then you had a couple of plays where they had those they flushed Allen out of the pocket and what would normally be at least an attempted pass ended up you know a 15 plus yard loss on a sack but be interesting to see the full all 22, but I think it's hard to get the ball down downfield to him when pressure's coming, and they probably had a safety tilting and rotating, whatever the case might be, watching Diggs as well um, in that situation. So Josh Allen, 287 yards passing, Two touchdowns, one pick. How would you assess his performance? By the way, apparently, and I don't know if this was trolling or not, but there were a lot of people trying to say Josh Allen was a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes before the game. And I was kind of like, I'm a Bills fan, and I know that that is unequivocally, uh, unequivocally uh, just untrue. Uh, I was like, okay, Josh Allen's very good. I love Josh Allen. Josh Allen has made me a fan. 
My mom got me a Josh Allen jersey for Christmas. I never thought that would be happening three years ago, but Josh ain't no Patty Mahomes now. Uh, what were your thoughts on Josh Allen's game? You know, this is his first time in an AFC title game, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty, uh, I, I think for him, I think it was an average performance. I think he could have played a little bit better, but take a look. I think, I think the QBR and the quarterback rating, you know, kind of nailed it right on point where he was, you know, average where he didn't, he didn't lose the game for the bills, but because the bills really don't attempt to run a lot, they put a ton on Josh Allen to play at an exceptional level. And he needed to play at that level tonight. Um, just because they they just put so much on him and they don't have that bell cow or someone. I mean, Allen was the leading rusher for the team in terms of carries and yards. So he needed to play at an A-level game, and he's been able to do that a lot. But overall, um, you know, the backpedaling on the sacks, I don't like, and that needs and, – and he's, he's done a good job. Um, this year of doing that less than early in his career. The guy continued to do that. Um, and then, you know, the pick was off the hands of the receiver. So, overall, his line, it wasn't bad, but it didn't move the needle one way or the other. But, unfortunately for the Bills, he needed a play at a high level um, for them to win the game. Yeah, you can't have average quarterback play and beat Patrick Mahomes. That's just not happening, particularly when Patrick Mahomes is 29 of 38, 325 yards, three touchdowns, and zero picks. Like we said, Kenny, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have bad games. They got 38, uh, and they kind of, it felt like they took the the foot off the gas a little bit towards the second half. Like, this wasn't, you know, they kind of peaked, I I think, when they went on that 21-0 run. But, you're, you're going to have to get the 40. You're gonna probably going to have to cross the 40 threshold to beat this team, right? Yep, yeah. You're probably, that, that's probably going to have to happen. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is special, man. Uh, no bad games. Always plays well in the biggest games. Do you see any qualities that Mahomes has for maybe a early Tom Brady? Because I, I think it's really interesting when we look at both their careers. Uh, just this play at this young of a career and to be this successful in the biggest games, this is something we kind of haven't seen since a Tom Brady. Right. I mean, I think, you know, if there's one thing, it's, it's, it's how good he is in the fourth quarter, especially with how many one-score games they played in this year. There's a streak where they played almost half their games, you know, six, seven, eight games or one-score games the back half of the year. I think it's just how he just stays within himself. And knowing that he's got great skills around him, the best weapons in the NFL, just continue to play his game and not try to do too much. And consistently doing that and being at his best when the team needs him to be at his best. I think that's probably the best trait of Patrick Mahomes and why he wins a lot of games and why Brady has won a lot of games like that in his career because they're at their best when the team needs it. 
Now I want to go to this. So I'm going to give you another Nick Wright tweet. I gave you one last week. Well, this is the first on the show. We're quoting Nick Wright. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, Kenny, but I'm still going to do it. He says this. It is impossible. Uh, he makes this comment. So the Chiefs might have the GOAT tight end, the fastest wide receiver ever, and an all-decade team safety. And I still think Chris Jones is the second best player on the team. Now, first, do you agree with that comment? No, I do not. Okay, just pick it apart, Kenny. Pick it apart. So, so what do you say now? The Chiefs might have the GOAT tight end, the fastest wide receiver no, ever. No, no, no. Not, not GOAT tight end yet. Gronk <laughs> and Ozzie Newsome and Tony Gonzalez. Shannon Sharp. Yeah. Okay, so Kenny disagrees with that. He says the fastest wide receiver ever. I do not think he was the fastest wide receiver ever, Ty, uh, Ty, Tyreek Hill. I do not think that's true. Who's the fastest wide receiver ever? Um, we could think of one who's faster. I mean, McCole Harbin's probably close in a foot race. I think my, I, I think Hardman's actually ran a faster 40 <laughs> than Tyreek Hill. I know. Okay, so we're 0 for 2 on Nick Wright. The third is, and an all-decade team safety. Tyron Matthews, not an all-decade safety. So Earl two, Thomas, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, depending on the decade, Ed Reed and Palomalu. Oh, no, so 2010 to 2020, because that's when Tyron. No, no, I take, I take. Um, Earl Thomas, definitely. And then either... Chris Harris Jr., by the way, too, was really good. Yeah, Chancellor or someone else. But, you know, I think he's a pro bowler, but I don't think Matthews ever had, like, an all-pro, first-team all-pro. Okay, so we're 0 for 3 on Nick Wright. (laughs) And then he said Chris Jones is the second-best player on the team. I would not say that's true. (laughs) You could have a lot of... I think Kelsey, Kelsey, or Kelsey's better at his position than Jones is at his position. Okay, Kenny. So Nick Wright has no base in his comments, is what you're saying? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait to kill a man, Kenny. Wait to kill a man. So anyway, my overall question about this point was: all those three guys, all those guys that he mentioned, are great in their own right. How talented is Kansas City? Is Kansas City just the most talented team in the NFL? Yeah, I would say wire to wire, they, they, they are the most talented team in the NFL. When you take a look at pro bowlers, and even even Eric Fisher, who's a pro bowler at left tackle, let's not forget about the bigs. Um, and then, you know, you just take a look at what they did in the draft. One guy that I like that they got, and he's fit into a kind of a safety or a nickel role, is number 38, Ladarius Sneed from Louisiana Tech, who has had multiple interceptions this year. He's made a lot of splash plays, tackles for loss, pass breakups. And you talk about speed, that's another guy. He ran a 4-3-6, 4-3-7 at the combine. Um, you add that with two pass rushers, which is critical because you're going to be playing from ahead, and D Ford and Chris Jones. And that entire offense, you know, we've talked about the skills already, but – they hold the fort together at left tackle, right tackle. They got one of the best right tackles in football. Who's currently hurt, Mitchell Swartz, 
Um, he didn't give up a single pressure in last year's playoff run, too. Um, so you add all that up with a good kicker. I think overall you would have to say this is probably the best roster in the NFL. It's going to be interesting to see how much of this they could keep when in 2021, I think that's the year when Patrick Mahomes' his salary goes from whatever it is now on his rookie deal, $12 million, $20 million maybe, to 45 and how long they could go about keeping all those players together. Well, let's talk about that. So here's what I'm thinking. if Why, why not? Because obviously Mahomes is probably going to be a chief for life or it's looking like that. Why not? Because, you know, hell might be harder because obviously the nature of how he plays and, you know, there's been some allegations about him character-wise. Like, we don't know, always know where I guess Tyreek Hill's going to be in five to six years. So maybe that's a little bit different. But with guys like Travis Kelsey right now, Chris Jones, and even hell, I'll even put Hill in there. Why not make them Chiefs for life? Because I think here's what you could tell them. You could tell them you're going to compete for Super Bowls. If you compete in Super Bowls, you guys are going to be beloved in this community. You guys are going to have endorsement deal opportunities. There's going to be so much money you can make off the field. To me, what benefit is it for any of those guys to leave, really? As long as they're not being lowballed, like the cap is the cap, but as long as they're not being lowballed and they're being respected, what is the benefit for those guys to leave? Yeah, I think they did that last year during during the offseason. They really locked up their core for a long period of time. Ty, Tyreek Hill already has a long-term contract. They got a long-term deal done with, um, with, with, with Travis Kelsey before camp. Patrick Mahomes, yes. And then uh, Chris Jones, their best defender, he has a long-term deal now too. So that's what makes them scary is they got the, they got the full um, team in place, like those core guys. You can't keep everyone, but they got those four or five guys under contract for a significant amount of time. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break. And then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this Super Bowl matchup that's going to be coming up in a few weeks between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Coming next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk as we are capping off the show. So the bracket is set. Only two teams remain. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Kansas City Chiefs. Kenny, how did we get here? How did we get here? Yes. So for the Chiefs part, uh, the Chiefs, I think it started the offseason when they were the number one team in the AFC. And, you know, it, it's some, some, some teams gave them some fits. But overall... Um, they're the rare team that they have excellent and an excellent roster with an excellent quarterback who's still on this rookie deal. And so he's the best player in the game, Mahomes, and their defense just has to be good enough to keep teams under 30. And they were able to survive the injury against the Browns, and then they had everyone at full health today, and 
they they really played a good game, especially just getting a few stops defensively. That's all the Chiefs need. For the Bucks, the Bucks were a team that had the talent on paper to make a deep run to the Super Bowl with 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 Tom Brady, and it just needed to take some time to figure it out. And they were really kind of down at the short end um, to, to fit things together right before the playoffs. But I thought having the Week 13 bye was big because then it broke it down into a four-game season. Um, yeah, yeah, the Week 13 bye they they had. They kept getting better. They went 4-0 the last four games, and they were really picking it up offensively, you know, scoring 44 against Detroit, over 30 against the Falcons, and they went into the playoffs hot. And if, if that offense clicked, and they had enough time to get it just in the nick of time with Evans and Gronk and Brown and a running game that really came on with Ronald Jones at the end of the year, um, their defense is strong enough to completely take away the run game and make teams one-dimensional. I think they have the best run defense in football, one of the best. Make a team one-dimensional, pretty easy to pretty easy to defend. And if it's close at the end, you gotta like what you have, in Brady. So they were able to do that. I think almost exactly against the Saints. And for the most part, they did that today against the Packers. They they held a pretty good run game in check. And um, I think it was more that defense making plays at the end with the three Brady interceptions. It was more um, them at the end. But I think Brady really put them over the hump this year. They had a nice team on paper. They were missing the quarterback. And Brady was really playing at an elite level down the stretch to get them their second Super Bowl birth in the franchise's history. And it looked, it was rough at times, right? I remember after that Rams game when the Rams kind of handed it to them, physically dominated them on Monday Night Football. And we're wondering, do Bruce Arians and Tom Brady have issues? Is Josh McDaniels going to come in here? Like, is Bruce Arians going to get fired? Like, we're reading all this stuff about Tampa. Uh, And they they were at the ship. Like, they, they got it together. They figured it out. Uh, and it's not easy to figure it out on the fly. Like, new team, you know, they have a new cut, like a whole different adjustment for Brady. But Brady and these guys, they figure it out. And we talk a lot about Kansas City's weapons, but the but the Buccaneers have weapons of themselves. Like, Antonio Brown didn't play during the game today against the Green Bay Packers, but we're, we're talking about Mike Evans. Uh, so many guys. Uh, even the, the Miller kid, Scott, Scott Miller. Like, he's like their fifth option. And I like him. He's a nice little guy in the slot, can't he? Yeah, that's definitely something that Brady's always had was kind of that speed guy in the slot. And Scotty Miller, um, he's got a really good rapport with Scotty Miller this year. And, you have and it was needed. Um, it was needed because he got behind the defense right before the end of the half to, to really, break, really break the back of the Packers and make it a double-digit game at halftime, you know, right before the half and beat Kevin King for a touchdown. So what is your prediction, early prediction, and early thoughts of this matchup? Yeah, so so my early prediction without having breaking down anything is I think in this game I'm going to give the slight edge to the Chiefs. Um, I think they're going to be able to they're, – they're, they're, they're a team where the Bucks could stop the run 
and the Chiefs could exclusively throw the ball 40, 45 times. And I think, I think they got some guys that they could go to, obviously. But they don't have to have a run game to get things going. Um, and I think it could be a shootout, but that kind of plays into the hands of the Chiefs. And a couple of matchups to watch, I think it's going to be Travis Kelsey against those two linebackers that are really athletic in the run, David White. I think that's one matchup to, to, to look at. And I think the second one is how do they go about defending Tyreek Hill? Because there's not a shutdown corner on the Bucks to do that. Then on the flip side, when the Bucks have the ball on offense. Oh, we, oh, we saw what Tyreek Hill did the the Carlton Davis last time they faced off. Oh, my God. Yeah. He roasted them. <laughs> 200 yards in the first quarter. Yeah. And, and not needless to say, I, I don't want to rag on Carlton Davis, but Devontae Smith kind of cooked him, too. But that's none of my business. But we, we saw what happened when the Chiefs played the Buccaneers early in the season, and Romo was like, this matchup's going to happen again. Tyreek Hill embarrassed Carlton Davis. He made this man trend on Twitter for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, and then I think offensively, I think you could get into a game where Bray, I, I, I think they've been running the ball pretty good with Ronald Jones and Fortnette, and I think they'll have Ronald Jones back in that game for the Super Bowl, and I think they're going to need to run the ball to, to keep Mahomes off the field, and I think a key here is going to be Brady on third down, extending... Uh, extending the drive. So whether he goes to a back or if Antonio Brown's back and him and Godwin, I think that's going to be a key point is how they go about um, winning on third down because they're probably going to need to convert over 50% or close to 50% of their third downs uh, to have drives ending in touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, I, I second your emotion on all of that. Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. We'll do it again soon. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sem, scouting expert for 247 Sports, for coming on the podcast. Always appreciate it. I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 253rd episode of Virus App Sports Talk.